Um, it's been about, for me, would probably say it's been about almost a year since I uh, came on the pulpit and preached again. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here again in the pulpit and preach. And um, had an amazing time with God this week and just him prepping me on how I would, um, how I would just encourage you guys this morning. I had a really good time with the Lord, and um, I'm excited to be here. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to believe that it's been two, somewhat about two years now or so, right, that we've been dealing with this COVID-19 reality. It, it, I, I want to say it's almost about two years, um, the wearing of masks, the social distancing, the virtual realities that we've all had to endure at one point or another. We've all had to do one Zoom call. I would be astonished if nobody here would say they never did a Zoom call. Anyone here? Could, anyone, for real? That's what I thought. <laughs> and the reality is, as I was thinking through COVID and 19 and its realities of everything from work to school, all that it's changed. Because it has changed life. For us, and drastically in every measure. Amen. Amen. How has the local church been affected by COVID? How has the local church, EBC, and churches all across the world that meet on Sundays, preach the gospel, have community, how has COVID-19 affected us? The Barna Group, which is a... Um, a resource that reports statistics on all things uh, involving uh, church life and just the Christian life says, I was reading uh, two things that kind of like, wow, kind of alarmed me a little bit about the state of where we're at as a church. It said, one in three practicing Christians is still and only attending their pre-COVID church. One in three. A second thing that I saw that it was also alarming was those that no longer attend church bear more emotional burdens than those who continue to worship in their local body. It is very clear from just the statistics that I read this um, earlier this week that the church has been affected by COVID-19. Maybe some of you even this morning we're contemplating whether or not you wanted to be here. How easy is it just to stay home and just worship through online services, right? And sometimes, sometimes it's needed, right? Sometimes there's actual reasons why you cannot come. And those are valid points, valid reasons you can't come to church. And then other times, and I'll be, I'm guilty of this, I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to, a, a, a day like this, you're like... Coffee, pumpkin spice, and I'm just can chill. But maybe some of us here are discouraged. You're discouraged because you're wondering why you no longer see the person you were worshiping next to. Maybe like me, I look around and I say things are, why is it that sometimes we are a smaller group? What's happening? And we get discouraged because we miss our brothers and sisters in the Lord that are not with us. And you're wondering maybe what does it look like to participate in corporate worship after COVID? 
Have you asked yourself that question, how do we do it now that we're kind of, well, God willing, we're in the exit of COVID-19 and now dealing with the effects of it? How does the church move forward? How does the church participate in worship? That is going to be my message this morning. Today's passage does not only answer this question, but it urges us to see, it urges us how we ourselves have been called to something greater in how we worship. My hope in this sermon today, guys, is a sermon of encouragement. My hope is is that you walk away from here feeling encouraged and wanting wanting to be mobilized in the church to say, hey, I want to be used by the Lord. This sermon today is one to bring you to a place of saying, I want to serve, I love Jesus, I love the church, and I hope I can encourage you this morning with that message. If you're taking notes, my main idea is this. Spiritual worship calls us to serve one another because we have received mercy from God, and therefore proper worship is displayed in how we serve one another. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Spiritual worship calls us to serve one another because we have received the mercies of God, and therefore proper worship is displayed in how we serve one another. Before I begin, two things I want to... So what we're going to see, two things we're going to see in the text is one... Spiritual worship causes us to serve. And two, our minds need to be renewed for how we serve. Okay, we're going to see two different things here. But before I do, before I begin breaking this text and, and, and expositing, let me, let me pray. Let's go before the king. Lord, we thank you for this time to worship. We thank you, Jesus, that you have given us um, a community to come and, wor- and worship, Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you that we've brought us here. And we pray for those who are watching from uh, uh, computers and, and living rooms and where, wherever they may find themselves. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us this morning. Help us worship this morning. Let us lay down whatever um, things that may be blocking those things from us to coming for your throne. Lord, I ask that you would be with us, be with me as I preach your word. We love you and thank you for who you are and your mercies that are so rich. Amen. So we're going to find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So if you're not there yet, oh, I never told you to go there. Romans 12, 1. Verse 1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? I want to stop there. Right from the beginning, we see that Paul appears to present, right from the beginning, we see that Paul tells us, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Right? He begins there. But what's interesting here is that he uses the word therefore. He uses the word therefore. 
Now, I wasn't the best student going to high school and grammar student, but even I know that there's an obvious connection between something that he wrote previously when he uses the word therefore. So the question begs, what do you mean, Paul? Why the word therefore? Well, you notice that he also uses the word mercy. Right in the beginning, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, what Paul's saying here is simple. Because you have received mercy from God, you shall act this way. You should move in this direction because you have received this great mercy from God. Which then begs the question, though. How is Paul describing mercy? What are the mercies of God? How does the book of Romans reveal the mercies of God? When does it not? When does it not? How many here have read the book of Romans? Show of hands. Okay. That is by far the greatest book for me in all of scripture because it is a constant reminder of the goodness and the mercies of God. It is a constant reminder of who I was and who I am because of Jesus. It is the book that brought me back to him so, so many years ago when I was living in sin. When I looked at Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I bow before the king and said, I no longer want to live this life of sin. I want to pursue holiness. I want to follow you, Jesus. All of chapter 1 of Romans and through 11, it's Paul talking about the mercies of God. An article that I read this week summed it up so perfect. Basically, what this writer did, he said, if we can sum up, Everything from chapter 1 through 11, this is what it will sound like. So I'm going to read what he said because he did it better than I would ever be able to do it. But this is what Romans 1 through 11, if it was summarized into a small little segment, this is what it would say. Based upon all that I have written to you so far in this letter, that everyone is bound under sin. That justification only comes through the appropriation of Christ. That justification is by faith, not by works. That everyone inherits sin through Adam. But in Christ, we are made alive. And we died and rose with Christ. And the law is no longer our regulating principle. That sanctification is through the Holy Spirit. That nothing, Romans 8, 1, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. The Gentiles have been incorporated into God's plan for Israel. That God is sovereign in all that he does. And God has a future plan for Israel and for us based upon all of this. I urge you to present your bodies, your entire selves, as a living sacrifices to God. Now let me lay this out for you in the next chapters on what this looks like. That is Romans 1 through 11 summarized. 
What we have in chapter 12 is a practical way that we are called to live out this new life in Jesus. This mercy that we've been received, we've got, has only been because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And because of that, we have life. Not life so that we can just keep it to ourselves. Life that will be sacrificial and made for others. Chapter 12 and on in the book of Romans is a practical way we are called to live out this new life that we have been given. Hence, why Paul continues in verse 1. And he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. By the way, if you didn't catch it in the beginning, right, Paul says, I appeal to you. This is a sense of urging his readers that this is something we are called to do. This is something that it's not a choice. It's not saying, God's saying, hey, if you want to serve, serve. No, he, he, God's, God's saying, listen, it is your responsibility to love your brother and sister in the body. It's an urging, it's an appeal to present ourselves to him. That our gifts, our money, and our time will be used for the glory of God in the body life. And he says this interesting thing in the end of verse 1. He says, these are acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now this week, as I was breaking the text apart and I was trying to figure out what, what, does, that mean, what does that mean, spiritual worship? And, I, and, and the Lord really used this time to really help me think clear on what that meant. And so basically the way Paul summarizes spiritual worship, the way it's broken in the original language in the Greek, right? What spiritual worship translates here is as rational service. Rational service. So if you were to read it this way, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your rational service, you'll understand what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is, is that rational service it's this logical reaction of someone who has received the mercies of God will present themselves as a sacrifice and acceptable to the Lord. It is the logical reaction of someone who's received this good news, this gospel that has made us free, we are made whole, we are one in Christ. The natural reaction, what's rational in our minds would be, I want to now be used for the gospel. I now want to be used by God to give others that same hope. Let me illustrate how this works. I've been married. I've been married for 14 years. Been together with my wife for 15 years. I love her. She's my wife. And one of the things, as I, as I look at my life in marriage, I don't serve because I have this legal demand that I have to. I don't serve because my wife is like, you, when we got married, this, this is the contract, and you need to sign it. And, and, and law number three is serve me at all times. Rub my feet, blah, 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 blah. No. I serve my wife because it is the rational, logical 
conclusion that I have because I love someone. Because I am in this union with this person. And therefore, my life is to be sacrificial. To think less of me and more of her. And so therefore, I want to please my wife. I want to do what's logical. And it's to be sacrificial, to be acceptable. I want my gifts to be acceptable to my wife because I love her. Anything else would fall short, wouldn't it? Wouldn't anything else fall short if I truly, my heart is in with her and, I, and, I, and my union is, is with my wife? I want to do what's right. I want to do what's beautiful. And that is the same thing that Paul says here. Logical reaction to that of the mercies of God that you receive will be poured out in the way that you are serving one another. In the way that you are saying, hey, I want to be used. Anything else will fall short. What does it look like to fall short? Romans 6.12. Romans 6.12. It says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but grace. Because of the mercies of God... We use our bodies for good. Again, we're not under any, you know, legal, like, this is what you have to do. But, like sacrifices that were presented in the Old Testament, our sacrifices, our giving of ourselves is an expression of our worship. Like sacrifices that were presented in the Old Testament... We are called to then do the same, present ourselves, and that is an expression of worship. There, it, 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 again, God doesn't want you to say, hey, listen, like we all have faults in this. We're all going to make mistakes. We're not going to always serve each other. And thank God for grace. Thank God for the grace of Jesus that he gives us, right? And that's what it says for, in verse 14 in chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. We will make mistakes and we will not serve well. We're not perfect people. God knows I have failed many, many ways. But thank God for grace. Thank God that even that when we do fall and we do not do what God has called us to do. We can come before the throne of God and say, I have failed, and the Lord is picking you up and go forward. You are forgiven and made new in me. Those are the mercies of God. When we give ourselves to God and our, com our community, God is pleased. You know how God is pleased? He, he loves seeing you wake up early in the morning, kicking and screaming, I want to go, but... He loves to see you serve. He takes joy in seeing his children 
love one another, give to one another. He takes joy and seeing these, all these things give him glory. Romans 6.12 is also reminding me that we can use our bodies for evil. We can use our money and our time and our services for what pleases the flesh rather than what pleases God. And, and it's interesting how easy sometimes that is. How easy for me to say, I want to do what I want to do today. There's an opportunity to serve God. There's an opportunity to serve its people. But I want to go watch a movie. Now, those things aren't bad in themselves. I'm not saying don't go watch a movie. All right? I'm not saying don't have time for you. God, we all need time for us. What I'm saying, though, how easy it is for us to say, I don't really want to do this. Our hearts sometimes can lead us to prioritize other things more important than who God is. There are things in our life sometimes that prioritizes the more, the more greater things than the body. And we've all made that mistakes. We all have. We can use our instruments, our bodies to do things that do not bring the Lord um, glory. So how do we continue to be rooted in Christ? How do we do proper worship? Well, Paul doesn't just kind of leave us on our own here. Paul wants us to remind us that there's ways that we can continue to do so. And he says this in verse 2. So follow me as I read verse 2 now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, do not be conformed to the passions of this world. Well, not passions, not be conformed to this world, which can, again, our passions can lead us there, correct? Our passions can lead us into be conformed into this world. And we know what this world offers, and we know what it brings. Paul tells us, we are called to be conformed to Christ. And he says this specifically by the renewal of your mind. What does he mean when he talks about the renewal of our minds? Again, you, you don't have to go far to live in a world that we currently live in. The gospel is constantly being attacked. Uh, the worldviews of the world differ from the worldviews that we believe in Scripture. Spend any time outside of these doors and you will see and bombarded with consistent reminders that no one, the world doesn't want what this has to offer. And so if you're day in and day out in the world, it's easy to conform to that of what you're, what you're in always consistently. 
And so Paul is telling us, in order for us to not be conformed, we need to be renewed. We need to be transformed in the renewal of our minds. So how does that happen? How do, do, how do we get renewed in our minds? And I think the first thing is by the hearing and the preaching of God's word. God's word is an effective tool and a reality. It's the truth of who God is. And he gives us. It's a constant reminder of who God is. God's word is God breathed, right? We need this daily, in and out. We need to be in God's word. Because there is a world out there that is telling you something different. We need to be transformed to who God is and what God is calling us to do. Second, by being here with the body, discipleship. I was telling this the other day to, um, I think I was telling, I forget who I was telling this to. But I remember saying, man, um, I love Sunday mornings. Even, even though sometimes it's hard to, you know, to come. I got kids. I got to get them dressed and all that. Right? It's hard to, you know, it's, but I love Sunday mornings. Because I love the opportunity to come into a building with, and be with people that love each other, love Jesus, and are going to be discipling each other. I love Sunday mornings. I love opportunities to be together because it is a constant reminder that we can renew one, our, our, each other in God's word. How many opportunities have you guys had to be out there on a beautiful sunny day and have conversations with people and be reminded of God's truth and his word? How many conversations have we had where we have been built up together because we are surrounded in discipleship with one another and we're pointing each other to Jesus. What a great opportunity to do that. We renew our mind by serving one another. By taking opportunities to say, how can I help you? How can I be a part of service to you? These are all ways that our minds are being renewed as we're consistently doing it. We're being renewed. Well, Paul says, Paul continues in verse 2. He continues to verse 2 to tell us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What Paul says here is very simple. He said, by testing, you are finding out the worth of something. By putting it into actual use or testing it, you're seeing whether or not it will hold out or whether or not it, it will, it, it's strong enough. And Paul says, and since we've been called to be instruments of mercies, we know that when we give ourselves and when we're testing those opportunities, God will be pleased in those things. God will be pleased in those things because such actions as serving one another, 
are worthy and it's logical. And therefore, his good and perfect will is fulfilled when we are serving one another. When we're doing those things, when we're serving one another, we're testing those things, we can't go wrong because that is what God's will is for us. It's for us to serve, for us to be with one another. It's logical worship. I read a good post this week on Facebook, and it was remarkable. It summed up everything I I felt like I was going to be talking about this Sunday. It says this. This is from a guy named Stephen Massey. He said, a church attendance, as church attendance numbers fade across the nation, and online services become very convenient. It's an important, it's important to remember why church attendance for you and your family matters so much. You can't serve from your sofa. You can't have community of faith on your sofa. You can't experience the power of a room full of believers worshiping together on your sofa. Christians aren't consumers. We are contributors. We don't watch We engage, we give, we sacrifice, we encourage. We pray by laying hands on the hurting. We do life together. The church needs you, and you need the church. We buy into this lie often that we don't need the church. I have Jesus. Or we think maybe, what does the church want with me? There's nothing that I can offer the church. There's nothing I can do. Let me remind you this. Let me remind you this. There's no such thing as the lone Christian or the virtual church. There's no such thing. Let me encourage you and say this. We want you here. At Edgewater Baptist Church, we desire you to participate and be part of body life here. Jesus wants to grow you in his grace in this place. He wants to be glorified through you in your works. Don't buy into the lie that you're not, you, you, you can't be used because you can God wants you to take time and say, hey, I want to be poured out. I want to be a sacrifice. I am holy because of him. I want to be poured in back to the church. Don't buy into the lie that God can't use you because he can and he will. Some of you guys are doing that already, serving in children's ministry. Some of you guys are doing that in adult ministry. Some of you guys are doing that in our youth on Friday nights. And man, praise God for that. And yet some of us, some of us, we don't do those things. For Some of us, we have good reasons why we can't. And yet other, some of us, we don't because we've forgotten the mercies of God and what that means to be poured out. So this morning, 
How do you use your gifts in the local church? How do you use your, your, your gifts? How, do, how are you being used by God? In verse 4 in this chapter, he talks about what it, for, it, what he talks about different gifts. For as one body, we have many members, and many members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that he's given us. Let us use them. He says, let us use these gifts. God has gifted each and every one of us to be used. We have a lot of college students here. I love seeing your faces. Have you asked yourself, how is God using me in the local body? Families, how is God using you in the local body to be poured out as a sacrifice? As we understand God's good and rich mercies that he's given us, how are we impacting one another? If this is not your church, that's fine. How are you impacting your church in your town, in your community? How are you serving actively, participating in corporate worship? Or maybe here you don't, you don't know the Lord. And I will call out to you and say, how, how can come and know who God is? Come and taste and see that he is good. Come, believe the truth of who he is. Believe in the gospel. Believe that his mercies are new. He died for you, and we have a place in his table when we die. Those who are watching online, if it's possible, I urge and hope that if there are reasons that you can't come, I totally understand. But if there are reasons that are not, that, that aren't really keeping you from being here part of the body life, I urge you to participate in worship. I urge you to be here together with God's people, building one another in discipleship, being under the word of God, being preached, being here, being poured out. It's never late to come back and be part of what God is doing here. It's never too late to receive his mercy. Come and see and taste. So I challenge you, Edgewater Baptist Church, members and non-members, how can God use you? I, I challenge you this week to take time to say, Lord, how can I be used here in the body, specifically Edgewater. There are a lot of needs here. I'll be the first one to say it. And if I can be, be honest and, and, and really be like, like forward, my wife has been doing ministry in the child's ministry now for about a month. She has not been able to come even to a Sunday service. 
So I challenge you, if you're good with kids, how can God use you in the children's ministry? If you're good with youth, how can God use you with youth? If you're good with adults, how can God use you? If you're good with worship, how can God use you for the kingdom building? We have gifts that God has given us. Let us use them. I don't want to guilt you to this. I don't want to guilt you to this because I think God's word makes it very clear that the evidence of the mercies of God are when we are pouring in one another. This is logical worship. We're not consumers but contributors. I pray that you will be challenged by that this week. But in a good way. Because I promise you there's no better, greater joy than when you are being poured out. And for those who are continually worshiping, thank you. I mean, are serving, thank you. You guys, your work's not being unnoticed. You might not always hear it from the pastors or the elders, but I promise you this. Your God, your king, knows all that you are doing for the sacrificial of your time and the kingdom. And your reward is in heaven. That great reward is in the kingdom of heaven. And I will promise you, I will try my best to continue to encourage each and one of you to serve one another. And to continue to encourage you to say, hey, thank you for what you're doing. As your elder, I want, to, I want to encourage you to love one another and building each other up, sacrificing for one another so that when the world outside looks here, they see the evidence power of Christ. And they too would say, I want that. I want what they have. The way they love and sacrifice for one another is unheard of. It's unseen. Let us be the church. Let us be the bride to one another. Let's pray.